0: Let's pray, and then we'll think together about Psalm 23. Lord God, speak to us. Help us to trust you and to know you, the all-sufficient God, in whom lies our life without lack. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. So uh, through January, we're doing this journey through Psalm 23, and I hope you found it helpful. I have. I have. And we're we're exploring whether verse 1 of Psalm 23 could describe our lives, you, me. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Is that just a pipe dream? Is that just religious pie in the sky? Is that just wishful thinking? Is that just an aspirational goal that you put on a motivational poster and then realize it'll never be yours? Or is it something that is actually God's plan for you and for me. And if it is, how do we get there? And we've seen over the last couple of weeks that at the center of this is this little verse that's highlighted here in verse 4, that, that the key to a life without lack is to learn to live, moment by moment, a life with God, to actually walk with God deeply, personally, experientially. And as we walk with God in all of life to draw on His magnificent all-sufficiency... Last week, we looked at whether uh, we looked at two critical uh, components of learning to live this life with God. The first was to learn who we are, and biblically, to say that you and I are, are wonderful and precious. And I made the point that uh, none of us think highly enough of ourselves. None of us think highly enough of ourselves. If, we, if only we had a vision of how precious and wonderful we are made in the image of god divine uh, bearers of divinity that that god loves to love us and he delights to be our great shepherd and we need to understand that about ourselves and about everybody else and then we said we looked at the reality that if we're going to live with god a life without lack we need to understand how satan will try to rob us of that experience and satan will rob us of that experience by lying to us about the nature of God and the nature of our own needs and wants and desires. And we looked at how that worked through our desire for uh, getting the physical needs of our body met. It's good for food. How Satan will lie to us around what, what appears good to us and how we can appear good to others through the desire of our eyes, what's pleasant to the eyes. And then we looked at how Satan will lie to us about uh, what will make us wise in this world, or what will give us control and power in this world. And Satan's great lie is that you and I don't need and can't trust God to meet our deepest needs for our body, to give us what is pleasing to the eyes and to, to secure our reputation in the eyes of others, and that God won't give us what we need to have power and control in the world, and that we've got to get it ourselves. We've got to make it work, and that's the big lie. And I made the point, which I hope you believe, that Satan can't cause you to do evil, neither can God cause you to do good. Only you and I can choose Uh, And the the battle between good and evil, and therefore the battle for living a life of sufficiency with God, is fought in the realm of our minds, what we think about the world, and then in the realm of the will, what we choose to do. So we need to understand that and how the world works. And I finished last week by saying what we would do today is think about faith as the first of three uh, positive prerequisites to live this life with God. Today we'll look at faith as a way to connect with the all-sufficiency of God, and then next Sunday, we'll look at uh, dying to self, or what the Puritan writers called the mortification of the flesh. Don't miss it. It'll be great. And then the week after, or maybe even next week, we'll look at the final component of a life without lack, which is living a life of agape love, of other-person-centered love with God. So faith. Well, think about faith. Faith can sound very religious. Uh, But think about it as trust. It's a more common, earthy, everyday word. Faith or trust is the key that unlocks our readiness to receive God's sufficiency in our lives. Now, you might say, well, Mark, I'm not someone with a lot of faith. I've just got the tiny little bit of faith. I'm not even sure I have any faith. And I would say to you, of course you have faith. You can't live in this world without faith or trust. So let's do a little exercise, a little thought experiment now. Uh, in what are you placing great trust right now? What are, you, what are you, how are you exercising faith right this very moment for something very tangible? Jan, I see that hand. On chair. You are sitting on the chair, the chair that you are sitting on. You are showing great faith. And believe me, if you knew these chairs, you would understand how great the faith was, right? Um, Well, what are the components of faith? Well, faith is always future-looking, and faith has a component of a vision for how the future will look, combined with an understanding about the nature of the reality in that future, and then a desire to act to bring that about. Okay, so let's think about that. Uh, You came into church this morning and you had your coffee and you chatted you had a little bit of small talk and then you had a vision of sitting comfortably through the service you could have had a vision of standing but you thought i'm going to sit and you had a vision i'm going to sit in this chair didn't you one of these chairs lovely comfortable chairs you might even have had a vision of which particular chair so you have this vision now this vision is has to work also with a particular understanding of the nature of the world uh, that that this chair will support your weight. You know it did last week. You're looking around and other people are having their weight supported and you go, yeah, okay, I get it. I I, I understand the nature of reality is that this chair will support my weight. You may never have sat in that particular chair, but you, you form an opinion that this is the way the world is. It's not enough, however, just to have a vision of what it could be, have an understanding that this could come about. You also have to have the desire or the will to choose. What does that mean? Well, you've got to sit you've actually got to take action you got to go i'm going to like so for me i can have all the faith in the world that these chairs will support my weight but there's no use i'm not actually trusting the chair right now in the way that you are am i i'm trusting my legs because i'm not sitting you however are trusting the chair were you standing you would not be trusting make sense now This whole series is based on some of the thinking and the work of a philosopher called Dallas Willard, who I love and has been very influential. He's a a deeply Christian thinker and a phenomenologist, a student of reality. And what I love about Willard is he says, listen, God is really real and therefore we can think about and experience God in in the same way we think about any other aspect of reality. So our faith in the chair that you're sitting on is not in its essence any different to our faith in God. Okay? So, uh, what do I mean by that? Well, you, uh, you're here, and you want to connect with God. So you have a vision in the future of a life with God. You've read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You say, I want my relationship with God to have this form. I, I don't, okay? Okay? So then you go, well, oh, that's great, I, I but I've got to also understand the nature of reality. I've got to say, well, okay, there is a God, he is a shepherd, all the stuff we've been talking about up till now, and, and that's an element where we need to engage our minds, and it can take a long time to join the dots and think and study and go, okay, yeah, I think I get it. I think the world really works this way. I think there is a God, I, blah, blah, blah. You do with all the historic stuff and yourself, which is great. So now you have a vision. You could be in a relationship with God. Now you think there is actually a God. At this point, do you have faith? Well, no. You've actually got to have the desire, the will, to move into a relationship with God and place the full weight of your being on this God. Otherwise, you're standing, not trusting. You're standing and looking at God. You're not actually relying on God. You're not in a relationship of trust. You're in a relationship of a distant observer. And so faith is this settled commitment and activity and attitude that says, I see the way the world will be, and I have a vision for this, and I understand the nature of reality. I'm going to act in the way that that will help me get there. Um. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, uh, one of the most wonderful pictures of faith in action, uh, Jesus has just been up the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, his three closest buddies have seen his glory. It's been an extraordinary encounter with God. He comes down and there's a great big kerfuffle going on because his father's had his son is demon-possessed and causing havoc, and the disciples have tried to pray and get rid of the demons, and it hasn't worked, and Jesus comes along. And he asks the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, question mark, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. If you trust, if you believe, then everything, anything can happen. And what does the Father say? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. It's one of the great prayers of the Bible, isn't it? Now, there's a lot to be said about the anything is possible. Read Dallas Willard's chapter on faith in the book that I've recommended, and he'll unpack that and help you understand it. We don't have time to unpack it now. Um, except to say, in summary, most of us—and by most of us, I mean all of us—aren't ready for the kind of faith that could do anything. We just aren't the kind of people who could manage that faith well, are we? I mean, I don't know enough about the world. If I could imagine, if if all of us could, there'd be mountains moving everywhere. I'm trusting God for a mountain here. I'm trusting God for a mountain there. We wouldn't know how best to organize the world in a way that would meet the needs of 7 billion people. So it would be ludicrous of God to actually, until we're formed with the wisdom and the intimacy of God to draw directly on his being moment by moment so we can understand absolutely everything about the world to give us the faith that could actually do stuff like that. It's not to say it's impossible. In fact, it's extraordinarily possible, and it will be so in the world to come. But right now, uh, if we were entrusted with that kind of faith, the world would be utter chaos, it seems to me. That said, this prayer is beautiful. So I'm going to take a moment. To, let's, I don't, have you ever prayed a prayer like this? I, pr- I pray this all the time. Uh, I read this many years ago, and I thought, that is it. That is my life. Lord, I believe... And I do, and you do, because you're here. But help my unbelief. (laughs) Because faith faith grows, and there's a progression to faith. So let's take a moment and just pray. Lord Jesus, you you tell us everything is possible if we believe. And Jesus, I want to say to you, for me, and I want each of us in our own way to say... I do believe. I do trust. But Lord Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief, my lack of trust. I do, and I need help. Amen. So, how are we going to understand this? Well, we had what we're going to look at is... Uh, well, let me back up. How do you have faith in the chair... Well, you may not have sat in it yourself, but you've watched other people sit in it and you've heard stories of how wonderful these chairs are, and so you now feel confident to sit in it. So it is with our faith in God. We can learn from other people's faith, which is a wonderful thing, and that's what we're going to do with Job. We're going to look at the faith of Job and think about what we can learn from Job for ourselves. Now, Job is one of the great pieces of literature in in the contemporary canon. It's an extraordinary book. Uh, I, we could spend months just unpacking Job. I'm going to try and pull out the salient pieces in like 15 minutes. So I can't possibly claim to do it justice. So I'm sure I'm going to omit lots of stuff that you would love me to talk about or questions you have. But I'm going to make three points about Job's faith and about your faith and my faith. And we'll see that Job's faith in the story moves from the faith of propriety to the faith of desperation, to the faith of sufficiency. Propriety to desperation to sufficiency. What do I mean by that? Well, we heard in the Bible reading this, this is the story starts. Job is a great man and he's a religious man. He's got a bunch of kids who like partying, and we don't know how religious they are, but Job, he's, he, he has the faith of propriety. He does what is right. All the time, and it's a good faith to do that. He's concerned not just for his own sin, but even for the sin of his kids. So he offers sacrifices in case his kids misbehaved at the party the night before. Right? He's a good religious man, and he does what is right. And that is how our faith starts. We come to God and we do what is right. And we have an implicit deal with God that if I observe the law, if I do what is right, you will do right by me. The faith of propriety is the faith of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees get a very bad rap in contemporary Christian culture, uh, but actually the Pharisees' faith was admirable. It was stuck in stage one, but it's good faith. They, They trusted God. But there's a problem with Job's faith, the faith of propriety, and that is that if you get stuck there, you'll never know if you really trust God for God or you just trust God for the good things he's given you. So this, was the tempta- this is the challenge Satan puts to God. Satan goes to God and says, Well, God, uh, look at this fellow Job. I think he just trusts you because you've given him all this good stuff. And God goes, No, 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 no. Let's do a test. God says to Satan, take away all the good stuff and we'll see. We'll see what his faith is really like. Right? Big test. Now, I think at the start, Job probably didn't really know what kind of faith he had. But he starts with, I'll do what's right. It'll all be good. I'll be a good Anglican. I'll be a good Catholic. I'll be a good Jew. I'll be very religious. I'll I'll be observant. And life will work. Right? But, but it doesn't, right? So there's the death of propriety. The death of propriety of rightness, of making life work through obedience, happens when Satan comes and attacks all of Job's external goods, all his kids and all his wealth goes, and then his health goes. And in chapter 2, we read, Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord, afflicts Job with painful so- sores, and Job takes a piece of broken pottery, scrapes himself with it as he sat among the ashes, and his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He says, are you still trying to do what's right? Your faith is all in doing what's right, Job. Just, just forget propriety and just curse God and die. get it over with. Just sin for goodness sake and let's be done with all the suffering, Right? And Job says, um, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. He goes, no, I'm going to keep on doing what's right. And you go, that's fantastic faith. But it's not enough. And I'll tell you why. Because at the heart of Job's faith of propriety, and I would suggest if you and I are at this stage, it's there for each of us, there is fear. Job chapter 3, verse 25 says this, What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Job, his faith as sincere and genuine and good as it was, was mixed with great fear. Why? Because he was trusting in his own propriety rather than trusting in God. His fear was, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to pray for my kids. I'm going to make sacrifices. I'm going to it's all going to be good. But the fear was... What if it still goes wrong? What if, what if you come to church all your life and then your partner still has an affair and leaves you? What if, what if you come to church all your life and then your kid in their teen years develops a mental illness and ends up dying by suicide? What if you do what's right all your life and you never manage to be free from the demons of your past and are racked with guilt and shame, mental illness, loneliness, and isolation? What if? See, that's the fear. I do what's right, I do what's right, I do what's And that's good. Like, we like people who do what's right. But there's a fear. What if it doesn't work? Well, because he's trusting his propriety. And we are very good at that as Anglicans, and let's not knock it. But let's say that that's not enough, to know a life without lack, because we're still just trusting our performance at this point. So, uh, the faith of propriety gives way to the faith of desperation. Because this is what happens. God strips Job of everything, and it becomes crystal clear to Job that his propriety was not enough to spare him suffering. His propriety and his faith in his religious observance was not enough to control the world in which he lived. So what comes next? It's a faith of utter desperation. It is a faith that comes to God, and this is the whole middle section of Job, and complains and begs and shouts at God and says, God, fix it. God, I'm dying here. Won't you come and sort this mess out? God, I'm innocent. God, you'd better come through for me. It's the faith of utter desperation. In the middle of uh, of one of the discourses, Job says this, Though he slay me, yet I'll hope in him. I've got nowhere else to go. Everything's been taken from me, and he's cast onto God. And that's faith. Because when all the externals go, when our propriety ceases to work, we have a choice, don't we? And we see this worked out in our own lives, in the lives of our friends, and our choice is this. We can, we can walk away from God and we say, God, I don't trust you anymore. Get stuffed. I'm, I, I know life's miserable and you haven't come through for me. My, my propriety hasn't worked. I did what was right and you've abandoned me and we can walk away from God or... Or you, 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 you walk into the faith of desperation, and it's real faith, where you say, I just need you, God. And you beg God. You, this, is, this is the faith on your knees when you've got the cancer diagnosis, and you say, God, do anything to heal me. God, do anything to heal my kid. This is the faith of desperation that says, my marriage is at an end, and I've tried everything. We've been to every therapist under the sun, and we just can't make it work. God, won't you heal my marriage? This is the faith of the addict. This is the faith of the addict who gets to the bottom and says, I can't make life work anymore. I am powerless to not take that drink. I am powerless to not go to the pokies. It's the faith of desperation. Now, that is not a faith most of us want, is it? Uh, here's how Dallas Willard puts it, it is trust that puts you in contact with God so you can draw upon His unlimited and inexhaustible resources. Unfortunately, many folks have their faith lined up in such a way that they do not need to rely on God. They do not need to trust God. They have a proper faith in terms of what they need to believe to go to heaven when they die, but they hope that God is never going to put them in a position of needing to actually trust Him before they go there. Anyone guilty of... Yes. Here's, what, here's the deal, right? We come to God and we say, trusting God is, is about trusting God to get us into heaven on the other side of this world, but between now and then, we are going to make damn sure that our lives work. And we're rich and we're intelligent and we're successful and we surround ourselves with all kinds of goodness and propriety and religion to make sure life works because the one thing we don't want is to be in a place of desperation where we actually have to trust God because that is terrifying. So I'll have the faith to get me into heaven, and that's good faith. Let's not knock that. But to actually have to trust God? Like now? Really? Really? Often God allows us to reach the point of desperation so that we can learn how to trust. Go back to the chair metaphor. Uh, most of us spend most of our lives just standing and not trusting. We look at the chair, we examine the chair, and we figure at some point in the future there'll be a chair there for me, but at the moment I'm just good, walking and standing by my own. on my own. Thank you, I don't need this chair. And we, we, we have trust that it's, when we need it, it'll be there, but we don't need it. So it is with God. It's a hard lesson, but an essential one. A life without lack is known by those who have learned how to trust God in the moment of their need. You're not trusting God until you actually trust Him when you need to. You're not trusting the chair until you actually sit down in it. And it's important, it's in the moment of need Uh, The faith of desperation doesn't come in advance of the moment of need. You can't can't grow in your faith until you actually get to the place where you really need God, where there's nothing else. This is the paradox of faith. You you don't know that God is trustworthy until you have to trust Him. You you have to leap and find that He's there for you. You have to... That's the only way. Now, this is a problem for us because... It's a problem for me. Maybe not for you. You may be far more spiritually advanced than me. My problem is I want a life with God. I want to know God is utterly trustworthy, but I don't ever want to have to be in a place where I actually have to trust Him. (laughs) But of course, for most of us, this won't be an option because most of us are going to find in life that life of its own volition brings along sufficient tragedies that we have to trust in because there's nowhere else to go. I know that looking out at you. I know you don't have to go looking. You don't have to manufacture the tragedy. It comes upon us. I know that in my life so clearly. question is, in the moment will you cry out to God? In the moment, will you find God to be enough? When you have nowhere else to turn except to God, and you turn to Him, your faith of desperation will meet the fullness of God, and you will taste the life without lack as you discover the depths of the faith of sufficiency. This is what happens. Job goes from, I'll make my life work by my faith of propriety to, oh my goodness, everything's stripped away, I'm desperate, I'm crying out to God, "Uh, fix it, fix it, God, come through for me, God. And then Job has an encounter with God in his moment of need and he moves to a faith of sufficiency. How does that work? Well, uh, Job, through the book, has been saying to God, Come, God, I want to come and show yourself so I can tell you all the ways you've let me down and you haven't fixed up my life and you haven't made life work. And eventually, you know what? God does show up in chapters 38 through to 41 of Job. And when God shows up, he he speaks to God out of the storm. It's out of the whirlwind. That's how God appears. God, when you read the Bible... God appears in storms, in fire. He doesn't appear in quiet and tranquil when we're sitting, when all of life's working well, sipping glasses of champagne, looking over the Mediterranean at the end of a lovely, relaxing cruise. (laughs) And and there's nothing wrong with that. I'd be quite partial to going on one of those sometime pretty soon. But I know when I go on those, God's not going to speak to me. God's going to speak to me in the storm. He's going to speak to you in the storm. He's going to come through in the chaos and the pain and the brokenness and the desperation when you keep on crying out to him and you keep on crying out to him. And then God turns up. And you know what God doesn't do? He doesn't turn up to Job and go, oh, Job, I'm so sorry. I haven't met your needs. He doesn't turn up as a codependent parent who's being mobilized by his child's needs to rescue his child. He's not a helicopter parent. He's not, he doesn't, oh, I'm so sorry. He's not a therapist, God. How can I make you feel better? He turns up and he goes, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Said, Job, you don't know. You, don't, you think you know, but you don't know enough. You've been desperate and that's okay. And you've been complaining and that's all right. And you've been angry with me and that's all right. But you don't know enough. <laughs> Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. This is an encounter with God that is going to change Job. And three chapters on, Job gets a word in and this is what he says. So God has piled onto Job, you know, where were you when I made the world? Look at you. I'm basically says to Job, I'm God and you're a person and uh, get over it. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isn't that an extraordinary view? An encounter with God. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? I've lost everything. I've lost my family, my wealth, my good standing. I've lost my physical health, everything. And I was complaining at God because I thought I understood that this was really the worst that could happen to me. And now I know, having seen you, that it's all going to be okay. And this was, in fact, not the worst that could happen to me. He said, I know now that I didn't really know because I'm, I'm just a, my, my perspective is too limited, God, and I finally get it in the presence of the all-powerful, all-sufficient God, in that encounter, in the whirlwind, in the storm, Job goes, I get it. I'm just a man. And it's going to be okay. I... I don't need to know how it's all going to work out. I don't need God to rescue me and fix me. I just need God to be with me. These things are too wonderful. God's purpose for Job is too wonderful for Job to understand, and that includes God's purpose in letting him lose his kids and his wife and his business and his health and his standing and his friends. He says, it's too wonderful for me. That's the faith of sufficiency. God is enough in the moment. You said in Job 42, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard you, but my, now my eyes have seen you. Job has gone from a faith of propriety and a faith of desperation where he's heard about God. And in that moment of desperation, he's cried out to God. He's seen God in the whirlwind. And he goes, now I've, I've encountered God. And I don't know. It's enough. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I change my mind. I realize who I am. The key to the life without lack is to encounter God in the whirlwind, to know God in the storm, to trust God that it will work out, it will be well with your soul to trust God that he can sustain your very being even when everything in the world screams at you that your life is being stripped from you. The all-sufficient faith, trust, and faith in God is the faith that took the prophets to their death. It's the faith that caused people to be poor. In the, in the, read Hebrews 11, this great list of what faith move people to do, trust in God. This is the faith of Jesus as he walks to the cross. It's the faith that says, my father will provide, even as absolutely everything is stripped away from him. Even as he dies alone, hanging on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the storm, in the whirlwind of Golgotha, Jesus trusted his father So that we can learn to trust his father and we can learn to trust him in the whirlwind. Job stopped pressing his case with God. He stopped trying to get God to make everything right. Having seen God, he let go of desperation. He saw that whatever needed to be taken care of would be taken care of. Isn't that amazing? Job saw the greatness of God, and in that vision, he was able to rest in the all-sufficiency of Yahweh. What a life. Now, I, I, more than anything else, as your pastor, I want us to have that vision and experience and encounter with God and to grow in that. And you say, how can I have that, Mark? Mark. Actually, you're probably not. You know what you might be saying? I really don't want that if the cost of having that is suffering. <laughs> I've got good news for you. The suffering will come. It's just a question of what happens with it, right? If you want faith, ask God for it. And when you ask God, be willing to let him take you through what is necessary to prepare you for it. There is... That's the Christian life. If you want to live a life without lack, it's experiencing God in the storm. So I don't know where you are on that progression of faith. I don't want you to feel disparaged or depressed about, you know, if you're more like Job in chapter 1 and life's working well. And I just want you to know that there's a path ahead of you where it gets harder and harder, but better and better. It's life, right? And if I pass the mic around, you could hear from a bunch of us this morning that we've glimpsed God. We've seen Him, we've tasted Him, we've connected with Him in the storm. And there's this deep, extraordinary confidence that, you know what, no matter what happens, it'll be well with our souls and it'll all work out. Isn't that extraordinary? wow, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God is with you. It's going to be okay. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help us not pretend. Help us not play we want to we want to see you jesus we want to see you in the storm of golgotha we want to encounter you in the cro- on the cross and then encounter you resurrected we want to we want to know you give us faith give us faith as a church Forgive us where we use our wealth and our intellectual firepower and our social connections to try and organize life so that we don't have to suffer and that it all works well and we don't really have to trust you. Help us to abandon ourselves to you and then find in you a life without lack. Amen. This may well have touched some raw nerves. It was designed to, because there's a rawness here. And if you want prayer afterwards, there'll be folk down the front, my left, your right, who would love to pray with you. And if you want to talk about this after church, don't just default into necessarily just chatting about the tennis or the weather, as lovely as those things are. Maybe maybe talk and pray with each other. Lean into God. Support each other. Because we're in this together as a family, yeah? Okay, let's stand and sing our last song. It's our offertory song where we get to serve God with our voices and with our money and our wonderful musicians are going to come up and lead us. So if you're visiting with us, there's no, uh, in, no pressure to give as the bags come around, just a, an invitation to be generous as God leads you. Let's uh, stand and sing together.